again everybody hey so this is my friend Jarrell he's also hello, hello. our student environments director here at South Point so official I think it's on oh, it's on yes so official <laughs> man happy Father's Day happy Father's Day grace and peace to you grace. this morning if, <laughs> if, if you heard two weeks ago in the message Paul in the mm -hmm. letter that we're going through introduces always uh, grace and peace and so Jarrell and I are trying to bring it back <laughs> every time we see each other we say grace, grace and, and peace. peace so anyways work with us let's do this every time you see each other Grace and peace. and peace to you, my friends, okay? That'd be awesome. A lot better than, hey, what's up? So, although that's what I say all the time. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, nothing to do with anything other than, hey, uh, we're going to be talking about fathers. I mean, uh, we're talking about for forgiveness today. Mm -hmm. But before, why did you bring this picture to us? Yeah, it was Father's Day, and I wanted to just think back on a gift that was sentimental to me. Um, so, I want to share with all of you. Um, it says, my heart belongs to Daddy. So, anybody who knows me knows that I have one eight-year-old daughter. Her name is Mackenzie. She's a future maybe artist, engineer, I don't know. Um, but she's super creative, so I brought this. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. My kids, sorry, I didn't bring anything. <laughs> Set me up to be a bad dad today, man. And true, I didn't tell you that I brought it until I walked out the car like, look at this. So, sorry. <laughs> Did you ever get a tie? Never got day? a tie. Um, I'm looking forward to that day, though, because I don't really dress up, really, unless it's like a wedding or funeral or anything. So yeah. one day I'll get a tie. What about you? I, I don't think I ever, I don't know. I don't think I did. I just, how did ties become synonymous with Father's Day? All the commercials, yeah, I just see like possibly. ties. And the other thing is, just to beef while I'm on it, this is nothing to do with anything, but like, I should. Anyways, like, could you get away with giving that on Mother's Day to Sierra? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Um, no. Yeah, mom. There's a double <laughs> yeah. standard here. Oh, yeah. Like, like, oh, I just make a craft for dad, but mom, mm -mm. She be would, it would be a Mother's Day we would never forget. I just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Okay. Dad ran over. Now let's get yeah. back to something that we're supposed to be here talking about. All right. Yeah. Do you uh, ever, are you the disciplinarian at home or how does discipline look like in your house? Great question. Um, so speaking back to my daughter, who's an artist and creative. Um, so she was two and then this is when I really realized I probably wouldn't be the primary disciplinarian, but I do have a role and I'll tell you what that is. So my daughter's two. She's drawing a fish for the first time. Okay. Um, she's like, look, Dad, I drew a fish. And I'm thinking, like, I didn't have a fish to show her. And I look at it, and it actually looks like a fish. So I'm super pumped, like, congratulations, honey. It looks like a fish. The problem was it was she drew it with a pen, and it was on our couch. So middle of a couch, it's a big fish. And I'm thinking, like, huh, it's a fish. It looks like a fish. Um, I immediately think, like, hmm, it's probably not okay she's drawn on a couch, but it is a fish. Um, so I immediately call my wife, Sierra. She's like, hey, I don't care if it's a cute fish, it's on our couch, and it's disrespectful <laughs> for her to draw on a couch, let alone our couch. What if she g continues on to draw on other people's couches? We need to discipline right now because we don't want her to continue to draw on other people's couches. So long story short, she's usually much quicker to think about the, the, the teaching moments that need to happen in the moment, and then usually I come through with the follow-through and the conviction to be like, yeah, honey, Let's talk about why that wasn't a good idea to draw on a couch. But it's usually after it's, it flips in her mind to be like, yeah, that wasn't good. And I'm like, you're right, that wasn't good. Like, 
It you know was what? a pretty fish. Yeah, like, remember that last time you drew on the couch? We shouldn't do that again. But. I like how you appreciate you sharing what was happening in your brain out loud. Absolutely. It makes me feel like, I bet we can all relate. Hopefully someone else does the same. Disciplining is <laughs> tough. We'll yeah. It's tough. Does it ever hurt? Absolutely. I would say, I think, if you think back to, like, times where you were a kid where it's like, it'll hurt me more than it hurts you, right? Like, yeah, it's absolutely tough, but I think the thing is, it's not because we're trying to be malicious. I'm not trying to be, we don't do it to be a jerk, but it's actually done in love. Because if we don't actually show her, like that's not the right thing to do, she won't have that moment to experience the sorrow, the regret, and the remorse that we ultimately need for her not to do that again. Whoa, deep words, man. It's getting really hard. So yeah. technically what you just defined is the biblical word repentance. Yeah. Right? So I mean, like, it's not just about the punishment, the sorrow. I think, I think Paul actually says 2 Corinthians 7 or something like that later on in the letter. He says, like, godly sorrow brings about repentance, salvation, and it does not leave regret, yeah. but worldly sorrow brings death. So well, I want to do whatever we can so that way the sorrow never leads to death. So that's the goal. Yeah, but it feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And, of course, our kid's like, well, you're ruining my life. Yeah, it's like, no YouTube today? No TikTok? Mom, no. what am I supposed to do? I'm like, going to die. Like, read a book. Like, <laughs> or just do something without technology for a day. Must feel like death. And it hurts us. You already alluded to it. Like sometimes my parents, I th I'm assuming my mom and dad said, I don't know. I don't remember. But I know I have said it. This is going to hurt me. Oh, absolutely. More than it's going to hurt you. Absolutely. And I sometimes I mean it. <laughs> sometimes I don't. But in the beginning, I remember yeah. when they were young, it was hard. Oh, absolutely. And this is where, okay, so obviously we're talking about like discipline, forgiveness, restoration, because Honestly, we sing these two songs earlier, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but like those words and those songs are great, they're powerful, mm -hmm. but the truth is maybe it's determined how your dad parented you is how you see how God looks like, what God looks like. So if you had an overbearing, mean, angry dad, then maybe that's how you see God mm -hmm. or think of. Or if you had an overly allow, you know, get, let you do whatever, you know, do whatever you want to do, doesn't matter, no rules in our house, oh, I just want to be your friend kind of thing. Well, God is a good father, but sometimes we use our earthly fathers as our model, and I hope you had a great one, but not all of us do, and none of our fathers are perfect like God is, and so today's big idea as we're about to open up the text um, is forgive or repent and restore the repentant. It's like that's our, that's our job, to forgive and restore the, the repentant, but that's difficult. And so we're going through 2 Corinthians today. Jarrell and I are going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, I would encourage you to open it up. You can follow along with us. Jarrell is going to be your voice. So imagine you're reading the text, you're reading the Bible, and then you're like, man, I don't know what that just said. Have you ever been there? I know I have. You're like, I don't understand this. Well, if you just go on, then you didn't learn anything. Mm -hmm. Ask questions of it. So Jarrell has got some questions. He's just going to ask as he's been reading this so that we can learn it together and then learn what does it look like to be obedient to Scripture. That's our goal today. So what does God have for us when it comes to restoration and repentance? Let's open up the text. All right, let's jump right into it. So we're going to start at verse 1. Um, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one who I've pained? And I wrote to you, or I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might, it might, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I, for, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love 
that I have for you. So I'm just going to say the first thing is like, we don't talk like this. Um, so <laughs> no, when you read don't. it aloud, it's like, huh, <laughs> tripping over those a little bit. But Mark, what's going on here? Why would it be a painful visit? That's the first thing that comes to mind. Great question. And just to your point, yes, the Bible doesn't read like we talk. So again, it's confusing. <laughs> it's not meant to be confusing. It's just, I don't speak that way. Yeah. So acknowledge that you're confused by it and then ask questions of it. Simple as that. Do some little study and then we can understand it a little bit more. So great question. Uh, last week, remember our conversation about the, early, the previous chapter, Paul had visited the area of Corinth. They'd started the church, probably spent at least 18 months or more there. Then they left after the church was established. And somewhere after that, there was a lot of dysfunction that came mm -hmm. into the Corinthian church. And so if you read his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, it tells us about a lot of the dysfunction. Hmm. I encourage you to go read it. You're going to see they were, they were pretty messed up. They had some things going on. One of them being there was a guy that was sleeping with his father's wife, probably stepfather, yeah. assuming, kind of situation. And in the Greek culture, not really that big of a deal. I think even in our culture, that kind of like, ew, that, that'd be that's kind of weird. Yeah, like a, so they had some serious dysfunction. And the issue that Paul was addressing was that they were not calling it out as sin. Not even to the point where the church leaders, they were almost like accepting it mm. and almost proud of the fact that they had people that were living in a way that was disobedient to Scripture. So this wasn't like a one-time, whoops, I messed up kind of thing. This was a continual, unrepentant sin that the leaders were not addressing. And so Paul writes in the letter to say, hey, you need to, you need to, uh, you need to call this person to repentance um, and you need to, so that they can come to restoration. So that's what he was writing them. And that's why he was, his, painful, his visit might have been painful because it would have been awkward and difficult. Yeah, like to me it seems like it could be applicable to some of the things that we see today, unfortunately, like maybe conversations around like identity, sexuality, where yeah. sometimes we're proud to talk about it in church, in some churches, right? Where it's like, hey, look at us. Like this is cool. We're progressive. What do you think about that? For sure, there's no doubt about it. That's very applicable today. It's not something that they struggle with now. It's humanity. We always struggle with it, probably always will struggle with it. And so the idea isn't that there is a perfect church because every church has people in it. So every church is full of sin in the sense that there are people, even Christians, who continue sometimes to choose to sin. But God can forgive. The difference here is that they were not just they were, they were saying tolerance and acceptance and even proud of it, like, like, like telling people, this mm. is good. Mm. Sometimes, you know, people twist that word. We all can do it and say that if you love me, that means you have to accept everything that I believe. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we take it too far when it comes to the political realm, and everybody wants to argue with each other when it comes to that. But what about morality? What about, like, yes and no, right and wrong? Um, if morality is truly subjective, then who's to say anything isn't wrong, right? So in a church, because we're just like a family, we're brothers and sisters, then God calls us to be obedient to what we see in Scripture. So important that we know what Scripture says so that we know what is right and what is wrong. We trust God's Word, not what anyone else says, but what God's Word says. So our, we're called to welcome everybody, mm -hmm. love everyone but to call out sin when it's sin in Scripture, lovingly, compassionately, with grace. That makes tough. sense. You know, we know, like, based on the text, Paul's an apostle. Like, we covered that in the last two weeks, but what about us? Like, are we supposed to be judging other people, or, like, do we even have qualification to, to be able to judge someone? 
I mean, sorry, it's like a, like a badge. Yeah, I'm, the, like, I'm the judge. I'm righteous, yeah. <laughs> judge Dredd. Sorry, there's a movie back in the day. Anyways, <laughs> no, can we be judges? It's a great question because I know I've heard it. I, bet, I know you've heard it. Mm-hmm. Student ministry just in life. And I'm sure everybody else has heard it. Like, well, Jesus, Jesus said not to judge, mm-hmm. right? And oftentimes people talk about, like, I think Matthew 7 where Jesus, like, take the plank out of your own eye. Mm-hmm. See? Judge yourself, don't judge others. Well, that's not what the text actually says. If you go back and look at it in the context, a couple of things. One, Jesus says, yes, first, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can correctly see the splinter in your brother's eye. So there's still something that needs to be addressed in your brother. Mm-hmm. It's not like don't judge. It's know how to judge rightly, correctly. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus says because sometimes we can be in danger of judging incorrectly and which means maybe I'm going to be judged incorrectly. Yeah. Examples, right? You know people who just think they're high and mighty, self-righteous, and they love to make you feel bad. Oh, I read my Bible five times today. Did you? It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, you only read your Bible today. once today? Oh, my God. Yeah. Sinner. Right? Like, I mean, we make up sins that aren't really sins, but we yeah. just want to make people feel bad. That's not right. But then also, sometimes we just don't call out sin, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, either way... The choice is, who do we trust? Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? First, Jesus does say that we should judge one another correctly. Second thing he points out, but he also he points out with grace. Second thing he points out is it should be believers. He's not mm. talking about the world, like non-believers. Mm. Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm pretty sure. He says that, um, he said not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he says, I'm not talking mm. about the world. You'd mm. have to leave the world. Yeah to not associate with people who don't believe in Jesus and aren't obedient. He says, but I'm talking about believers. Hmm. It's not my right to judge. It's not my place to judge the non-believers, but the believers, we should judge correctly. And that's what we struggle with oftentimes. Just to make sure I'm extremely clear, our role is to judge Christians, not non-Christians. <laughs> yes, and no, yeah, but you know, like again, we're not gonna wear a badge that yeah. says, hey, I'm the judge of you today. Yeah. So our, our role isn't to judge, it's just sometimes, because I love you, mm-hmm. we'll need to correct, just like with Kenzie, right? Yeah. Sometimes I need to judge, yeah, point sense. out that there was something wrong in your life, not because I'm better than you, but because I love you. And it's true, that old song, that whether you like it or not, you know, yeah. love hurts, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love hurts. No, that's interesting, because like, to me, that's super convicting, because I think that there's definitely been times where I would see something where I might ignore it, right? Yeah. But now that, it, now that you say it like that, if we ignore it, it's almost like we're enabling it by looking the other way. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, I appreciate it, but, you know, Scripture is giving us all these clues. God's telling us. So, once again, it's not what the church says, what Mark says, what Jarrell says, what mom or dad says, is what does God's Word say? And God's Word says that, yes, we should judge correctly because he is the ultimate judge. God, his role is to judge the non-believers, sinners, what do you want to call it, you know, people who have not said yes to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the whole world of our sin and unrighteousness. So God, the Holy Spirit, that's their job. My job is not to judge the world, but mm-hmm. to love the world and share the gospel with the world so that my friends or the people mm-hmm. that I know in my life that haven't said yes to Jesus, will respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction at some points where now they have forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to be able to live more holy, sinning less and less. Um, And oftentimes you're right, people in the church love to judge non-Christians and refuse to hold one another accountable. And of course, people outside the church are like, well, that's messed up, that's wrong. Like, 
That's hypocritical, and they're absolutely right. Um, so this is a big deal because the way that we discipline, the way that we forgive is how the world mm. views God. Yeah. So are we showing what God looks like or ourselves? Okay. Like, I feel like um, there was a verse in Matthew, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Um, and I think that kind of gives us kind of like what we should do. And I think we should probably read it just to be clear. Because yeah. I know we talked about that even before. Um, so Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as the Gentile, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Yeah, great job. And you know, sometimes like when you're reading one text, you're like, well, that makes me think of another. So you go read it to kind of like understand it more fully. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what all of us can do in scripture. Instead mm -hmm. of just thinking I know what it says, find it, read it so mm -hmm. I know what it says. One, I want to remind you and, and celebrate, like you said that you were convicted by this. Yeah. That's the, prop, that's the appropriate response to God's word. Like sometimes when you read it, I shouldn't be convicted for you. I should be convicted like myself. Like, whoa, this is telling me, Mark, I need to be obedient to scripture. And the best thing that we can do is to respond with obedience, which is from conviction. Um, if we're reading scripture and we never feel convicted, something's up. Um, but when we feel convicted, the good news here is that Jesus gave us very clear description of the biblical process that we should go through. One, you go to the person individually. Mm -hmm. Don't bring your posse with you. I got five <laughs> people on my side here. Yeah. Don't go guns a-blazing like, let me list out the ten things that you've mm -hmm. done that I haven't done in like a year, right? Yeah. Like, let me just write, bam, dead in my right sights. Yeah. You're not going in guns a-blazing. You're not mm -hmm. going with ten of your people to prove a point. You're going in lovingly, encouragingly, but you're talking about the one issue that is at hand, and it's just the two of you. And you try to share with them that you love them, and out of your love, and I'm full of grace, then hopefully the relationship, they can repent, there can be restoration. If that doesn't happen, then, then if it's an egregious sin and it continues on and on, then you bring the church leaders with you, and they will remind them of what Scripture says and call them to repentance. And if then they still choose to not repent and continue to live an unrepentant lifestyle that affects other people, then they were asked to disfellowship, which means, you know, like when your neighbor kids come over? Yeah. And you're like, okay, great, but sometimes you're like, kid, <laughs> yeah. someone needs to discipline you, and yeah. I'm about to right now, Yeah. but you're not my kid. <laughs> so then you, you stop inviting them over? May, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't discipline the neighbor's kids like I can discipline my own kids. Hmm. I just can't. Sometimes we want to, but we feel like it. Same thing here. Like, Inside the church, we should hold one another accountable. And that's where he gives us the way to do that. Yeah, so this sounds pretty intense, not going to lie. Um, so what type of sins would cause this? Uh, not reading your Bible three times a day. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Father's Day gifts. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, yeah. we make, I'm joking, but um, in Corinthians, we obviously see that unrepentant continual sin, so a mm -hmm. lifestyle that is opposite of what Scripture says, and it's unrepentant. So I'm going to keep doing whatever I want to do, even though Scripture says it's a sin, and I'm not going to repent for it. On and on. Um, we also know that, it, like, disunity, so, like, when it's dividing the church, um, whether it's through, like, slander, gossip, or teaching, anyone who's trying to divide the church, especially on non-essentials, and then also those who are teaching just anti-biblical, anti-Christian teachings, those are three examples that we know of clearly. 
Yeah, so this sounds hard. So like if you're seeing, if you're observing this, um, it sounds like it would be very difficult to walk up to someone and have that conversation. So have you had to do this? And if so, how did it go? Or how does that go here? Yes, and it's not easy. So, and again, this is like, the, the church leadership isn't biblical police. I'm like, hey, Jarrell, tell me all the sins in your life. No, this yeah. is like open, rebellious, you know, not just one time I'm, I struggle with something or something that I know that I'm struggling with, but I'm confessing it and I'm trying to repent or I'm working on. This is different than that. Uh, yes, we've done it. And if you'll notice in Paul, he said that I wrote this with anguish of mm. tears. Yeah, he does. Like, sorry, I'm writing. <laughs> anyway, uh, he wrote this with yeah. anguish of tears. Like, this pained him. This burdened him. This was not easy for him. And I bet the same when you talk to Kinsey. That wasn't mm. easy for you. Your heart. Like, ah, I do have pain here. Yeah. Paul felt the same pain. And yes, I do. We do as church leaders. We don't like it. Matter of fact, if anybody likes to do this. I think something's wrong with them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I love going to tell people how their sin is. Um, so, but as church leadership, yes, we have. How does it go? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Truly in today's world, like a lot of times people just go to a different church that either doesn't know or doesn't care. Um, a lot of churches don't deal with it. No, mm -hmm. There's no discipline whatsoever, um, which is, I don't think it's scriptural. So, um, and then sometimes people just continue or they don't become a member so like I mean technically if you're you know if you're, again if you're not my kids I can't mm -hmm. discipline you the way so that I can with my own kids we're called to discipline those who are in the church believers so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't okay so looking at this first letter um, it looked like it convicted the leaders and encouraged them to confront this individual um, and they had to disfellowship him yes exactly. okay um, so how did it go well we don't know yet Oh, so let's keep true. reading and All right. find out. All right, so let's jump back into the text then. Um, so looking at verse 5, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, as this punishment by the majority, is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you, and know whether or not you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. A so, lot there. A lot there. A lot there again. Um, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's saying that if one person in the church sins, it has a greater impact outside of that person. Yeah whether you realize it or not, which is scary, right? Have you, ever, have you ever said that, you know, as a parent or maybe as a kid, don't ruin this for the rest of us? Oh, all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your sour puss attitude can, like, ruin it for everybody. Like, you're doing this amazing parents, you just great day out for everybody, mm -hmm. and there's one kid who woke up in a bad mood and is just dead set to make everybody else miserable, right? And so that kind of attitude, yeah, when your sin, my sin, we think it's just my thing. No, it affects other people, whether we realize it or not. Here, we see it affects Paul because Paul is to tears because he loves you so much and he's seeing that it's affecting your lifestyle. So he wants you to be obedient followers of Christ because he knows what's best for you. And then also he sees that it affects the entire church to the degree that it, it, the entire church's testimony can be affected because you're living a rebellious, disobedient lifestyle and others can think, oh, that's okay. That's mm -hmm. what the church is. That's what God has said. Um, so whether we realize it or not, and then another thing just to note here, it's dangerous. If your heart doesn't break, yeah. when you see your brother or sister sinning, something's messed up with my heart because yeah. it should break my heart because that's my brother, that's my sister, and I want to help them, not be mad at them, but to love them. 
Yeah. So what is Paul saying when he's saying that he wants to test their obedience? Oh, yeah. So, well, it, in his first letter, he said, test their obedience because I'm asking you to um, call this sin out and biblically um, handle this, like, correctly, judge rightly. And so he was testing them to do that and even disfellowship this individual. But now he's testing them to say that now that he has repented, you should forgive and restore him back to the fellowship, not overwhelm him with a excessive sorrow. So does that mean that the discipline worked? Yeah. In this case, it did so far to the point that now he's working on forgiveness and restoration. Okay. So as we can see here, forgiveness is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, and Paul's saying that he's already forgiven this guy when he said, anyone you forgive, I also forgive? N not exactly. No, no, he's not saying... He, he said in the Lord's presence, right? I think that's in the text. In the Lord's presence, we do this. Paul is saying that, you know, Jesus was willing and forgave mm -hmm. us. So it would be crazy, horrible for me not to be willing to forgive you. Yeah. Um, Jesus is, you know, he taught us how to pray. He said, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Same thing, right? Like, what if that were true? Yeah. What if God forgave us the way that I forgave others? Ooh, yeah. that's tough. Paul is saying that he is willing, in the presence of Christ, he is willing to forgive yeah. as God forgives. Um, but how do they know who to forgive and who not to forgive? Like, I think we could all could imagine someone in our head, like somebody potentially who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, which sounds kind of mean, but I don't know. In my head, at least, <laughs> I can think of someone. We're picturing them right now. I bet everybody yeah. is. Everybody's picturing that person. Yeah. Probably been picturing that person this whole time. Yeah. My brother, whoever it's that like, is. I hear what they're like, saying, but. No, yeah, yeah like, it's difficult, no doubt about it. And sometimes maybe people will say things like, um, I know I've heard it, I've said it. You don't know, you don't, Mark, you don't understand how much he's hurt me. You don't know the full story. And you're 100% accurate. I, I don't know the full story, but God does. Mm. Just like you don't know the full story about my life, but God does. Mm. And God commands me still to forgive, mm. even though he knows the full story, more mm. than any of you know the full story. So forgive us. God has forgiven, right? Colossians mm. tells us to forgive as we have forgiven. Mm. As we have been forgiven. God forgives when we repent. And so here we should forgive those that are repentant, mm. which we see evident in this person's life. Okay, so it sounds like forgiveness is ultimately about restoration um, and bringing people back to God and not just about the punishment because that's super helpful because um, it also shows that forgiveness is a two-way street. Yeah. Um, you know, what about someone who's not repentant? How does that work? Yeah, all these are great questions because when you look at this, man, this is tough. So forgiveness, yes, is not is about restoration. So. Forget full, full forgiveness, we can separate it with different words, forgiveness, restoration, but full forgiveness, like 100% forgiveness means that the person who was the offender, they did something wrong, so somebody said something to me about my mama, <laughs> like they, they offended me, so now I go to them and say, hey, you've offended me, like you really hurt, this was wrong that you did this. I bring it to them, that's my part, mm -hmm. then the person has the opportunity to repent, to say, you know what, I'm sorry, Mark, that was not my intention, I was hot-headed, whatever reason, mm -hmm. I apologize, right? So then there's that forgiveness, that repentance, and then now I can fully mm -hmm. forgive and we can have a relationship that has been restored. That's full forgiveness. But I can't make you forgive me. Yeah. I can't make you for, repent. Remember when, I'm not, remember, remember when I was a kid, Jarrell? No, I'm like, you don't because nope. you weren't. I'm old. But when I was a kid, my mom, who's probably maybe watching this, but um, she don't be mad at me, but she would make me and my sister stand like on opposite corners of the room, mm -hmm. touch your nose to the corners. Anybody ever do that? 
put your nose in the corner yeah. and you don't come with your nose doesn't t- not touch that corner until you're ready to forgive. Like, well, just, I'm just ready to not my nose touch the corner. Yeah. So yeah. Forgive, I, I forgive, I forgive, tag, right? Yeah. Like, you can't change someone's heart, but we try, right? So full forgiveness is full restoration, but both of us have a part in it. Mm-hmm. And my part is to be willing to forgive. Have you ever become bitter towards someone, angry towards them, yeah. because they have not repented? Me too. And my family, like serious yeah. stuff where people hurt me, and they never repented. Well, what do I do with that? Well, I became angry, bitter. Every time I thought about that person's name, I thought nat- mean things. I never prayed for them. Mm-hmm. When I got to that point, the truth was I blamed them, but it was my fault. I was choosing to be angry. I was choosing not to pray for them. That's the part that I can play. I can release the, 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 the retaliation. Mm-hmm. You no longer owe me. I'm not saying what you did is right. It's not forgiven. I'm just saying that you don't owe me anymore. I'm no longer the, the one who's going to come and get my, what you owe me. Yeah. I'm giving that to God. That's my part. And if at some point you repent, then I am willing to forgive and actually want it to happen so that we can have full restoration. So should that be unconditional and unlimited? Great. So unconditional, no. Unlimited, yes. So forgive as we have been forgiven. How does God forgive? Does he only give us so many times? No. Jesus uses that example 70 times 7, just how many times? So unlimited, yes, if there's Mm -hmm. a repentant person. Unconditional, no, because I can't fully restore, forgive, unless you repent. Mm -hmm. I can do my part, but there can't be full restoration unless the other person, so that's the condition. Not to beat a dead horse, but just to be clear, should I forgive a person who did not ask for it or did not repent? Yes, because I think we we say they don't deserve it. Well, the truth Mm -hmm. is none of us deserve it. I don't deserve it. God has forgiven us, not because we deserve it. So if we forgive as we have been forgiven, then yes, I'm called to forgive that person. And it doesn't start when the person repents. It starts now. It, my heart, then I can start the process by going to them, and then hopefully we can work towards full repentance and restora- restoration. Okay. And then last one, because it was intriguing, a little bit weird, and we totally glossed over it, but <laughs> what does it mean not to be outwitted by Satan? Because it kind of ended there. So what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, you play sports, right? Yep. You had a coach. Yep. So your coach two competing teams, two competing coaches. They both have game plans to beat the other team, right? Mm -hmm. So here's what we're going to do to win. Well, Satan hates you. Scripture says he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to ruin your life. He wants you to mistrust God and place your trust in yourself or something other than God. And so when he does that, that's his game plan. And two of the biggest weapons that he gets us with or tricks or outwits us is unforgiveness and unconfessed sin. So unconfessed sin is when I begin to be okay with sinning. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it's okay. Well, everybody else says it's fine. Well, the world says this, or my mom says this, or whoever else says whatever. No, I'm going to trust something other than God's word, and I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to be repentant. I'm not going to be sorry for what I'm doing. The other person, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. And we get that heart. Our heart is getting hard. Our heart is getting hard. And in that moment, it's difficult. Like, I'm not trusting God. I'm not being convicted by the Holy Spirit. The other way is through unforgiveness. Same thing. It's a hardening of my heart. I was unwilling to forgive. Even if the person did repent, uh-uh. 
No way. Ain't happening. Never going to forgive that person. Have you ever said that, thought that? I know that people have. We all struggle with it. And when we begin to get to that point, Satan's got us. He's duped us, tricked us. We think we're in the right. We're in the clear. We're actually the noble person in the conversation. No, I'm not, Mark. I'm the dummy. I've been outwitted once again. That's what Paul is talking about. And for the church collective, we've been called to be different than the world. Not different to be cool, just to be different, but be different in the sense that we are obedient. When Jesus convicts, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we obey. And if we're not being obedient, then it damages us, the whole church, our testimony, and those around us, which is why our big idea, once again, is forgive and restore the repentant. Forgive and restore. So, I appreciate all these questions, and hopefully you're beginning to learn how to interact with the text, with the Bible, and understand and maybe take something, and maybe you're beginning to be convicted, like Jarrell and myself, on what we're reading here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to the point where we're talking about how to respond to this. Maybe God's saying something to you in your heart that you don't want to hear. Maybe he's saying you need to go because there's a person that you know you have not done your part to forgive. Maybe there's someone that you have not repented or repented of, and you've been holding on to it rebelliously. Maybe you've just had that hard heart, you know? You're recognizing where you are. And if that's you, then God calls you to repent. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't bring death. It brings life, godly sorrow. The worldly sorrow wants to make you feel sorry for yourself the rest of your life and condemn you. But the gospel is this, that we sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but because he infinitely loves us, he told us that we were wrong, But then he sent his son to die for us and pay the debt that we owe. So now we owe no more debt. We can be right with God in right standing, which means no longer hold against me those past sins. He has forgiven me. And if you've never experienced that, to say yes to Jesus for the first time and say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, instead of anything else, I'm going to trust God's word rather than other people, whether my heart, my own self, I'm going to trust your word, you And maybe today, please text us, email us your name. The information will be on the screen. Or if you're here in person, after the service, come up, talk with somebody at the front. One of our friends will be here. We'd love to help you take a next step, whatever the next step may be. Because Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family. But on this Father's Day, you have an opportunity to bring life, not death. So what will you choose to bring into your family? and into your own personal life. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. And during this prayer, I encourage you to pray along with me. Pray like God hears you. He's listening. So whether it's you need to repent for the first time and say yes to Jesus, or if you're a believer, pray. And allow God's Holy Spirit to begin to convict you and lead us all in one accord to leave here in obedience. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for Jesus that has demonstrated what your love looks like. Thank you so much for his obedience on the cross shows us what obedience looks like and what you expect from us. And then also, God, thank you for paying for our debt so that now we have hope. There are some people listening to this right now, and they've never said yes to Jesus for the first time, and maybe they're, they didn't know this because their earthly fathers did not treat them this way. They've never experienced real godly discipline. They've experienced capriciousness or just anger or just vitriol or just ugly stuff. God, maybe some of us have experienced just Blatantly do whatever you want to do, and there's never been any rules, and so I can do whatever I want to do, and I can trust myself. And maybe that's some of us here, and maybe today we're realizing that we can trust you because you're a good, good father. You discipline those you love, and we really want to be loved by you and be your children. 
They want to be those neighbor's kids. So maybe today they can say yes to Jesus. I encourage you to convict them to say yes to someone. Have that conversation so they can take those next steps. But maybe there are some here listening that have already said yes to Jesus and are believers. But if we're honest, we've been hard-hearted when it comes to this. We've been negligent. We haven't confessed the sin that's in our life. We've been hiding it, thinking we can avoid it or deal with it on our own. or We haven't confessed it. Or maybe we're living just unrepentant. But now we're realizing once again that, God, you know what's right, not us. Maybe some here are just unforgiving, and our heart has been so bitter and difficult and hard that we are just not willing to forgive certain people or a lot of people, and we're harsh. God, today, we bring it to the altar, we bring it to you, we bring our lives to you, and we say we trust you. Mold us, convict us to leave this place in one accord, saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to God's word in obedience, because we trust you for life, good life, abundant life. We no longer want Satan to outwit us. I pray that you bring restoration to some of the families and the marriages and the relationships that are broken in this room and watching online, because you can if we begin to trust you and obey you. And it's in Jesus' name his mighty name, that we pray these things. Amen. Would you please stand, no matter where you are, and let's worship one more time and allow God's Holy Spirit to convict us to be obedient.